Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, Gen AI in Higher Education with special guest, New York Times bestselling author, Laura Torres Nui. Uh, Laura, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Darren. Hey, Laura, you got you got a really incredible background. You're a friend of mine and, and my wife. And, um, That's the most incredible thing yeah, right there. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but you're best-selling, New York Times best-selling author. You're, you're teaching in the universities. And you and I were talking the other, uh, other day, I, well, probably a month ago, and I asked you a simple question, which spurred this really great conversation. I said, where's my mic? I need my mic, right? Um, and that was, what are you going to do about generative AI in the classroom and in the college level? Because you teach English and critical thinking at, uh, at the university level. So what are you going to do about it? Because at the time you're going, I, you know, there's lots of different, but now it, <laughs> I class. Probably, I probably just put my head in my hands and screamed at that point because <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a big question. And I think, um, you know, a while back, Elon Musk said in an interview about AI, he said, things are getting weird and they're getting weird fast. And um, it's been terrifying for people at the universities, not so much. AI itself, but just what do, what do we do about it? Because it, cha it, it changes everything. It does. Well, that, that's what that's what I thought. Right? It changes a lot a lot of things. Um, how do you how do you teach? How do you grade? Right? Because uh, I I my kids already know how to use it. My my teenagers, they're going to get A's in all their English class. I have no doubt, right? Because they're going to they know how to do all the stuff, and so um, so it's it's a major change. Um, uh, but before we get in there, I want people to hear your background because you got a great background. So let's hear a little bit about about Laura. It sounds like I've done a lot of different things, but really it's all been in books and publication and writing. So when I was 14 years old, um, I got a job as a library where I was shelving books and I checked out more than I shelved and I didn't have to pay late fees <laughs> yeah, to come more than I shelved. But anyway, from then on out, I was always involved um, in books and publishing and uh, that kind of thing for, you know, in one way or another. But I started out in children's publishing. I worked at several different children's publishing houses as a senior editor and a, a writer in American Girl magazine as an editor. Um, and mostly I wrote, wrote books on my own as a, a freelancer and and did well with that. It was fun. Nonfiction, uh, magazine articles, a couple novels. I worked as a newspaper reporter at one point, which wasn't a good fit because I don't like, I love the immediacy of it, but I don't like bothering people, <laughs> especially <laughs> ones that are in a crisis situation. Um but then in my, I moved, I got married, I moved to Sacramento, which is not known for its children's publishing scene. And I was kind of burnt out on the freelance stuff. And so I went back to school and got my master's deciding um, I was going to teach creative writing because I had just come off of the two novels and um, ended up teaching composition instead uh, because I had to go back and take several uh, undergrad composition courses and I saw how it was done poorly 
And I thought, I I need to step in and do it better here because I thought I was going to die of boredom in those classes. And that's my jam. So I just, uh, I started that. And ever since then, I've been teaching English, um, crit well, critical thinking, reading and writing at the most basic level. And a lot of times for students who are not quite up to college level writing yet. Well, you, you, you recently, yeah, you recently yeah. did something really interesting and exciting. Yeah, interesting is one way to put it. So I teach it um, a prison uh, here in California, and it's a it's a high security prison, and it's old school because they have no technology. They're supposed to get laptops soon, but no technology. So pencil, paper, that's it. Completely old school. Wow, what what a big change! Because you did that this this year so far. You've done mm -hmm. that. So you're yeah. going to move from teaching these inmates with paper and pencil, no internet access, to now kids having a pretty, pretty incredible new technology, generative AI, that has the knowledge of the world at, at their fingertips. Yeah, and it's a completely different thing. The classes aren't even going, um, they're not even going to look, look alike because what, you know, what it comes down to for me at its most basic form as far as um, grade, well, I don't care so much about grading as I do about learning, but the end product doesn't matter as much to me anymore. Because anybody oh, wait. can come Did a teacher it. just say that? The end yeah, product doesn't matter as much anymore. I did, because anybody can come up with a polished end product between Grammarly and AI. Now that's simplistic because of course, you've got to have the good argumentation and the critical thinking skills and- right you know, the research, solid thesis, all of that kind of stuff. But what I'm going to be doing is um, teaching and grading on the process and not so much on the end product in order to not to circumvent cheating or trying to get, you know, nail students that are going to use AI. But my job is to teach critical thinking. It's not to teach where the commas go. And so the only way I can really see to do that is to focus on the process. Show me your sources. Why are these sources good? Um, you know, uh, can you identify misinformation? Can you um, get to the reading level to understand the peer-reviewed literature? Now give me an outline. Now, what are you gonna argue? And the most important thing, one of the most important things to me is the counter arguments and the counterpoints. Because we'll get to this in a minute. One of my biggest fears for generative AI in the classroom is bias. Oh, uh, yeah, um, absolutely. We've, we've... And if my students are putting in prompts and they get one point of view only, there goes the critical thinking. And I have a real concern. Um, colleges lean one way um, as far as ideology. Especially and, in especially in the liberal arts um, colleges, right? Right. Correct. Yeah. There's and there's no room for certain voices already, and the kids who have a different voice and buck against that system are quickly silenced. But at least, um, you know, at least they're thinking. At least they're expressing themselves. If generative AI really has the kind of bias that I'm thinking it does at this point, not only are they not gonna, I don't quite know how to express it. What's gonna be put out is only gonna be sort of one, one point of view. I'm really concerned about that. I hope it evolves beyond that.
You know, I just talked, I just talked to um, an expert in generative AI about the bias thing. And he goes, it's really interesting what you can do with the generative AI now in that you can give it different personas. You can say, I want you to write a conservative article. I want you to write a more progressive article, a more liberal article. I want you to pretend like you're um, from a different country. You can have it do those sorts of things and get alternate egos and alternate personalities coming out of the generative AI. Is it bad that I don't trust that? Is it bad that I don't trust that it would give a genuine conservative viewpoint? Well, I don't know. That's a good, that's a good question. (laughs) I have to stress here that I'm an end user only. I have no understanding of how the technology works. (laughs) Well, yeah. And and how the technology works is, is real simple. If we put, if we simplify it down data in, data out. (laughs) So a a, a gen AI will give opinions based off the type of data that's been put in. One of the biggest examples of that was an AI that was let loose on, um, on the internet by Microsoft years ago. And um, all the trolls came out and within with 24 hours, they had to shut it down the AI because it became so misogynistic and cursing and, uh, it was in a racist and all these things because people were feeding it that type of stuff. It wasn't gathering that. information from all over. In fact, chat GPT, um, two, um, had extreme bias and, um, to, to the point where it was unusable because they just gathered a bunch of stuff off the internet. So there's a lot of, uh, vulgarity and crudeness and all that. So what they did was they had people curating the data. So in essence, chat GPT is the, is curated data, which means it's biased by nature. Yeah. And you know what goes right along with that? So, so I'm afraid of the bias. I'm afraid of the loss of critical thinking skills, but I think that we can learn to redirect and teach in it different way. And honestly, my biggest fear that I haven't heard discussed a lot is that we're going to lose unique voices because you said, well, you can put on different personas, ask it to do things, but it is going to come out in a generic way for that persona. And often it's horrible. Um, I I did some generative AI for my students in the prison and I had it um, do a certain topic and I was testing out the different voices and I asked it to do it in rap. I was reading it to the students and one of them nearly had a heart attack. And he said, no one has said yo in a rap since the nineties. So it wasn't, an authentic, <laughs> so it wasn't an authentic voice. And it's like our, our, our students of color, our black students going to have to, to maintain their voice, put something into generative AI that says speak in black English. And what is that going to come out like? You know, because AI right now yeah. is standardized English. So I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of people losing unique voices. As a writing teacher, I don't care about your commas or whatever necessarily. I mean, that's just such a tiny part of it. We just don't want it to impede understanding. What I'm interested in is your voice, your argumentation. I always tell my students, if you guys all wrote papers, left your names off by the end of the semester with 90% certainty I could get whose paper is whose just from your your voice because everybody has a distinct voice and I can tell a generative AI essay because 
the voice is very bland, <laughs> very, uh, very generative AI. <laughs> so, so that's, that's really interesting, Laura, because um, we, we came up with a term a couple episodes ago called AI washed, mm. right? Where things have been fed into an AI so much. And we were talking specifically about email. I can send an email that I run through an AI to make it better. I send it to my boss who uses an AI to read it and give him the highlights. He responds with an AI back to me. And what do we have? We have an AI washed conversation um, and we lose our voice. I love it. No one's ever said, said yeah. that. And I think that's, that's well, really cool. The thing that's really super interesting about this is there's been a huge movement the last couple of years. Um, it's called linguistic justice and it's about it's it's a movement to not squash different voices. It's a movement away from your standardized academic English. We've long been accused in academia of squashing voices to conform to an academic voice, whereas you know our black voices, our Spanish voices, the what have you, are just as legitimate. So why are we adhering to this standard when those are also um, legitimate dialects, legitimate accents. And there's a huge movement to preserve and encourage these voices. And how does that square with the generative AI? Uh, there's two movements that to me, they seem, they seem opposite. They yeah, diametrically opposed, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so, so on one hand, most um, teachers are on board with preserving unique voices. And on the other hand, we're all gonna be using generative AI. Talk about the wash thing. So <laughs> I'm on this website. I've been selling. One thing I left out in my little bio is I've been writing and selling curriculum for a decade now. And there's a website that's huge that a lot of teachers, and this is K through 12, I would say mostly um, mostly grade school stuff where teachers okay. create curriculum for yeah. other teachers. And they, these curriculum creators, were some of the first people that I knew that jumped on generative AI. And right, instead because of writing, I can produce tons of data. I can right. produce tons of stuff quick. Instead of sitting there for eight hours and writing a fourth grade reading passage about whether animals should be kept in zoos and getting the reading level right and doing all the research, you just put it in AI and it comes out pretty good. So here's the thing. So we have teachers generating the curriculum and these kind of teacher created resources are huge. And I expect that textbook you know, education companies will be using generative AI too. So the curriculum is generated by AI. The students use generative AI to do the curriculum, the assignments and the exercises. And we've got machines talking to machines. Maybe I'm not smart enough to understand how that's not going to be the case, but it sure feels like uh, it. Yeah, I think it is going to be. So what role do humans have in this whole thing? Exactly. Just looking at it, making sure it's okay. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you, you do bring up an interesting point, and 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 that's education. You're not caring about the outcome as much as no. Are are you are is is the student learning? Are they are they um, progressing? Are they learning how to use these tools? Because whether we like it or not, these tools are going to be around. Right. And so I think the worst mistake that a teacher could make at this point is to ban 
generative AI and to say, you can't use it. It's cheating if you use it. I'm not going to do that at all. In fact, in my syllabus, one of the first things that I said um, for this semester is I'm really excited to integrate generative AI technology into our classroom along with traditional writing skills so that they know right off the bat, hey, this isn't a sneaky cheating thing. <laughs> We're using this. And in all the assignments, well, I wouldn't say all, but I'm doing a lot of in-class writing. I learned a lot from teaching in the prison and that brain to handwritten connection. There's something um, to it. So I'm going to be doing a lot of handwritten exercises in class. But back to the point, which I forgot what it was. Um, what was I talking? Oh, just you know, how how are you going to leverage gen, generative AI? That's oh. you're going to use it in the classroom. Okay, let's do a pause so that you can edit that part. <laughs> uh, okay, so the way that I've developed my assignments for this semester is, for example, an example assignment is they'll be doing all the steps to write a paper using research, addressing the opposition, all of that stuff. I'll tell them when and where they can use AI, but they have to show me the process. What sources are you going to use? Are they valid sources? So we're going to do the whole process all along, some of it in class. They're going to create the end product. And then when they're done with that, they're going to generate the AI version. And we're going to talk about how will you prompt See, this? Yeah. How will you, how will you write the prompt? Because here's part of critical thinking using generative AI is how do I write the prompt to get what I'm after, to express my views, to get the thesis I want, to get the opposing viewpoints that I want. So I'm gonna have them do that. They're gonna have the essay side by side. And then the big assignment, the assignments that worth the most points is they're gonna compare and contrast. What did AI do better? What did I do better? What are some of the shortfalls here? Is there, what you know, I just like, I wanna see what they come up with. And that way, so it serves two purposes. I think it's practical. Here's what's gonna happen right. when you're out in the work world and you're allowed to use generative AI. You're gonna to have to look at it. It's got hallucinations in it. It didn't use sources properly. It didn't cite its sources. They're gonna find out all of this stuff. It makes and stuff see, up in yeah, a Yeah, they're way. gonna see <laughs> those downfalls and they're gonna see that they do some things better and that their voice is, um, it's important. So we'll see if it works. Oh, Lord, man, I wish I had you as an English teacher. <laughs> well, I heard another teacher had a really good example assignment too, is they watched um, a show. I don't know if it was a documentary or whatever it was. They watched a show in class together. And then on the spot, she generated um, an essay uh, from AI. She did it right in the classroom, passed it out to the class, and then they all had to revise it and then share their revisions with groups compare contrast. And I thought that was a really good way to do it too. You know, Look, I, here's what's generated, but how are you now going right. to see what's, yeah, found yeah. what, what's, what's found? I, I love this because you're teaching practical skills that people need when they're in the workplace. Uh, you're teaching critical thinking without worrying about as much um, what we get tied into. It's, it's a problem. I, I personally have with a lot of the way people teach it's, I don't care how you get to the answer. Uh, the answer is what I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah. And that was that was me because I figured if you end up with a really good end product, that means that all the critical thinking skills went into it. Well, I don't, I don't think that's there anymore. That's not so, there anymore, huh? Yeah. I had a colleague yesterday. He said, um, the essays, let's see if I get this right. The essays they write don't get them the job. The critical thinking skills, the hard work is what gets them the job. So I would say, or keep the job because AI might have written the resume, <laughs> right? Oh, that's so that's very true. Focus on. 
So it's a complete shift for me to um, focus more heavily on process rather than end product. But that's just well, and, it is. And in the in the um, in the shift, you're helping uh, these kids understand how the process works, and they're learning they're learning how to leverage AI to be uh, more effective in their in their jobs. I'm learning how to use generative AI right now highly effective in, in some things. Other things I'm like, ooh, that fell right flat on its face. I can't leverage that um, anymore. So uh, I, know it's, I know it's an important skill. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. So I was in professional development yesterday that was cross-discipline and the math teachers were saying, you know, I understand your concerns, but it's like when we started using, you know, calculators or the, you know, the more heavy duty, calculators yeah. um the same and i i argued i got my bristles up and i said it's not the same because writing is about voice writing is about unique voices and that's a totally different thing and if everybody can just come up with the answer through generative ai writing i think we've lost something that is really really important i'm not just talking novels you know you've got fiction writers unique voices that just what makes art what it is but not creative nonfiction everything like you said we don't we don't want it we don't want it washed down yeah that's that's what i'm most i'm that's what i'm terrified about well and and it's interesting because whether we like it or not we all communicate with words right some people don't like that whether it's yeah. spoken word or whether it's um a written word both can be generated via AI. In fact, on my other podcast, my weekly uh, news podcast, I now use my own cloned voice to do that in six different languages. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so Crazy. my voice now can be whitewashed or whitewashed, AI washed um, just as well. My, my vocal voice can be AI washed just as much as my written uh, so I love I love that you say we still need our own unique voices in in this world where AIs is going to be used in lots of different things and it's valuable it it is valuable oh it is ask me if I've ever created a lecture using AI heck yes I have yeah of course yeah, yeah. well and and doctors are starting to use it to write post um, post operative notes and and things like it's you know, it's it's here. It's great to help us augment uh, the work that we do. But I'm glad that you've you've pulled out. And I love what you said. Your voice still needs is unique um, in who you are. Yeah. And part of our job as teachers, especially, well, I wouldn't say especially at the higher education level, at all levels is to value and acknowledge those unique voices so that generative AI is less seductive. Oh, I love, man, you should write a book about this, Laura. Let's write a book. No, no. I shouldn't. I know nothing. Talk to me after the semester is over and we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is really the first semester, right? This is the first school year where generative AI has been generally available. You probably yeah, I got some students. Yeah, I got some generative AI at the end of um, 2022 and I didn't recognize it right off. I was just like, this is not her voice. I recognized the voice. I was like, this is not her voice. And I couldn't find it in a plagiarism. And then it dawned on me too late that it was AI, but she didn't have any sources cited because this was early, right? Yeah. 
and then I was teaching in the prison in the spring. So this is really um, the first go at it. But I've been thinking long and hard and, and, and everybody in education has. In fact, um, the U.S. Um, Department of Education and you know, government moves slowly. But I was really glad to see what they had to say about using AI um, in education. They said, I don't have the exact quote, but I'm going to paraphrase it with something like, um, we're going to use AI more like an electric bike than a robot vacuum. The user is still in control, but the burden is lessened. Well, I kind of like that. Yeah, I not exactly true. where I'd like it to be, but I think it's on the right track. Yeah, I, I, I hope it I hope it's more true than not. Um, but I, I also I also truly believe this. If you don't understand how to use it, you're gonna be left behind. Yeah, that's true. Um that I, I truly believe that. It reminds me, it feels a lot like it felt in the early nineteen nineties. Um I had access to email even in even in the late eighties. Um, I, I was fortunate uh, to say the least. No one else in my family did. I did. Um, but when I got out of school, I, I was already used to the internet. No one else around me was, and it got me jobs that I, I never would have had beforehand. And then everyone started, it started proliferating throughout, um, society. I think the same thing's going to happen with Gen AI. Those that understand it, are going to be more desirable in the workplace, understand how to use it effectively. And there's so many new use cases that are popping up all over the place. Um, so Laura, thank you for teaching our next generation because uh, you're, you're right there at the, right there at the forefront of all that. Well, nobody is going to be an effective teacher if they don't embrace it and use it. If you just forbid it, it's, it'd be like, um, you know, people who've been teaching forever said re they remember the days, um, when teachers were saying no internet, you can only use print sources, you know, like I read, yeah, my kids, that was for my kids. That wasn't that long ago, Laura. Um, so, well, Laura, thanks again for coming on the show. It's always fun to talk to you, but now in on the show, it's even better. So we're, we're going to have to have you back. We'll have you back at Christmas time after the first semester and we'll see how it goes. It may be that your hair's this big or pulled out. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. We'll see, how, we'll see how disappointed all my students are. They thought they were going to, you know, come in and, and write generative AI essays and, you know, not spend any time. So we'll see how they like the new approach. Yeah, it'll be fun to see. You're going to learn in spite of yourself. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.